Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now we get to the question everybody's interested in. Will there be animals in heaven? And specifically, will my pet be in heaven? I can't tell you the number of people who ask me that question about will our pets be with us in heaven? Let's see what the Bible says about the place of the animals in heaven. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. These days, there's a great deal of interest about the subject of heaven. The Bible provides some detail about our eternal home, but not everything. Still, many people are eager to fill in the blanks about what heaven is like. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress opens Scripture to learn what we can and can't know about heaven. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. As a pastor and Bible teacher, I've been researching the end times for many decades. And today, I want to share my comprehensive research in the form of my highly requested End Times Illustrated. There's nothing quite like this book available today. This is a full-color, 72-page book that features 18 original and illustrated infographics and charts outlining God's timeline of prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. In addition, I'm prepared to send you my best-selling book titled Perfect Ending. In this book, you'll discover how future biblical events affect you in the here and now, and how current events are paving the way for the Antichrist and ultimately the return of Jesus Christ. This is the very last day to make your request, and I'd be pleased to send you a copy of both books, Perfect Ending and the Companion Guide, The End Times Illustrated, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. David and I will repeat this information later, along with the other resources available to you on this final program in our teaching series. But right now, let's dig into Scripture as our series called Perfect Ending concludes. My message today is titled, The Truth About Heaven. As we conclude our series today on Bible prophecy, we're going to look at what we call the eternal state for believers. We're going to talk about what the Bible reveals to us about heaven. And so today, what I'm going to attempt to do, and you have on your outline, is I'm going to answer the 10 most frequently asked questions about heaven. The first and the foundational question is, is heaven an actual place or is it simply a state of mind? Turn over to John 14 and look at verses 2 and 3. Now, this is Jesus teaching. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The Bible doesn't stutter on this subject. Heaven is an actual place, not just a state of mind. Well, that leads to a second question. Well, where do Christians go then when they die? The moment a Christian dies, his spirit goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. And in that sense, he is in heaven. But that is not our final and eternal dwelling place. Ultimately, we will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth that are yet to be constructed. 
Well, that leads to a third question. Are you saying then, pastor, that when people die, they go to a kind of purgatory until the end of time? Not at all, not at all. When a Christian dies, he goes immediately into the presence of Jesus and experiences blessing while he awaits the new heaven and the new earth that will be his ultimate dwelling place. Question number four, what is the difference between the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and new earth? What is the difference? Remember that Revelation 20 tells us that after Christ comes back to earth at his second coming, Remember, he bound Satan for a thousand years and he reigns on the throne of David for a thousand years. It is during this time that the earth experiences a renovation. Not a recreation, a renovation. But then as 2 Peter 3 says, after the millennium and after the white throne judgment, God will destroy this present heaven and earth. And look at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 3. John says, after the present heaven and earth were destroyed, he looked up and he saw this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to earth. And what I want you to understand, we've been over this before, but some people still don't get it, is our ultimate dwelling place is not up there, is not some place in outer space. Our ultimate dwelling place is here on earth. And that leads to a fifth question. What kind of bodies will we inhabit in the new heaven and will we know one another in heaven? I was on a radio program Friday and the host was asking me all kinds of questions about the resurrection. Well, Pastor, what are our resurrected bodies going to be like? Are we going to have birthmarks if we have birthmarks in this life? Are those birthmarks going to carry over? What about if you've lost a limb? Are you going to be handicapped in the next uh, life? I mean, are are we going to know one another in heaven? All the answers to those questions come when we look at the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And you find that his resurrection body in many ways was similar to his earthly body. But his body was also superior to his earthly body. And the same thing is going to be true for us. He said, well, that was Jesus. Why do you think that's going to be true of us? Because, because Colossians 1.18 says, remember, Jesus is the prototokos. He is the prototype of those who are going to be raised from the dead. He is the firstborn, the prototokos of all creation. The Bible says you and I are going to be just like Jesus in that new resurrection body. Question number six, well, what age will we be in heaven? Have you ever wondered that? What age will we be in heaven? If you're 10 on earth, will you be 10 in heaven forever and ever? Uh, If you're a senior adult, when you die and go to heaven, are you going to be looking for the branch office of the AARP at the pearly gates, you know? (laughs) The real question is, what age are we going to be in heaven? Some people have postulated that, well, perhaps we're going to be the same age Jesus was when he started his ministry. We're all going to be 30 years old. That's complete conjecture. The fact is, we don't know what age we will be in heaven. But now we get to the question everybody's interested in. Number seven, will there be animals in heaven? And specifically, will my pet be in heaven? I can't tell you the number of people who ask me that question about will our pets be with us in heaven. Let's see what the Bible says about the place of animals in heaven. First of all, Isaiah chapter 11 is a description of the millennium, the renovated earth, when Christ reigns for a thousand years. 
And yes, the Bible teaches that there will be animals present during the millennium. But after Revelation 21 and 22, when you get to the destruction of the present heaven and earth and the creation of the new heaven and earth, you find no mention of animals in the new Jerusalem, no mention of them anywhere. Does that mean they're not here? Not necessarily. However, if there are animals in the new heaven and the new earth, uh, most probably they are not our pets today that have been resurrected to new life. If you turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon makes that point very clear. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage of man over beast. For all is vanity. They all come to go to the same place. They all came from dust, and they shall all return to dust. But then he goes on to say in verse 21, who knows that the breath of a man ascends upward and the breath of the beast ascends downward to the earth. Here's the difference. The breath, the spirit of a man ascends to heaven. There is an eternality of man that is not true of animals. If there are animals in the new heaven and the new earth, they're gonna be new animals that God has created probably not our resurrected pets. Number eight, will there be marriage in heaven? Will there be marriage to heaven? If I've been married for 60 years here on earth, am I gonna be stuck, I mean, am I gonna be married to the same person in heaven? What does the Bible say about that? Turn over to Luke 20. Now that's a question the Bible answers very, very clearly. Remember a group of the Sadducees who didn't even believe in an afterlife decided to, play their own version of ask the rabbi to try to stump Jesus with a question in order to trick him. And the question was this. They said, Jesus, suppose a woman is married seven different times, seven different men, and she dies in the next life. Whose wife will she be? They thought they had really stumped the Lord. Not at all. Look at verse 34 of Luke 20. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die anymore, for they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Jesus is simply saying in our resurrected bodies, we are like angels in this aspect. We're not going to marry, and therefore we're not going to procreate. We will not be married to other people in heaven. Now, if the thought that you're not going to be married or the thought that Fido isn't going to be with you in heaven causes you a lot of angst, remember this. Heaven is going to be a place of complete joy. God knows exactly what you need to be happy, and there's not going to be anything lacking in heaven, the Bible tells us. Well, that begs the question then, question number nine, what are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to spend eternity doing? Now, we know the picture of, you know, floating on a cloud, plucking the harp. That's a mischaracterization of heaven. But you know what I have found is even some Christians, many Christians, don't understand exactly what we're going to be doing in heaven. We had a guest preacher one time, and he started kind of getting on the congregation a little bit. And he said, you know, those of you who can't even sit through a two-hour worship service, how in the world do you think you're going to enjoy heaven when all we're going to do is worship God? 
there were a few scattered amens, but not real enthusiastic. <laughs> because frankly, we're all just being honest here. The thought of doing nothing for all eternity except worshiping God is kind of boring. No, you're not going to admit to that, but you're thinking it. That's kind of boring. We're going to do nothing but worship God? Listen to this. While worship is certainly going to be a primary activity in heaven, it's not going to be our only activity in heaven. The Bible says not only are we going to be worshiping, we're going to be working in heaven. The fact is, God created us to do more than worship. God created us to work. And the reason God created us to work is we are made in his image. God is a worker. He created us to work. And listen to me, worship and work are not mutually exclusive. You can be worshiping while you work. You know, a perfect illustration of that is in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, think about this. Before the fall, they had a perfect relationship with God that was untainted by sin. They were enjoying perfect fellowship with God. But did they just sit around the garden singing hymns and praying 24-7? No. Genesis 2.15 says God gave them a job. You are to cultivate the garden and to keep it. They worked and they worshiped at the same time. And the same thing is true for us. We're going to be doing more than singing hymns and praying all day. I would say all day and all night, but there's not going to be any night. It's just going to be all day. God has responsibilities for us. You say, where do you get that? 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure with him, we shall reign with him. Or Revelation 22 verse 5, we shall reign with him forever and ever and ever. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about uh, the parable of the talents. And he was teaching us that depend, dependent upon our faithfulness in this life, we will receive responsibilities in the next life. Some will rule over planets. Some will rule over stars. Some will rule over galaxies. Now, Paul said, one day we will judge angels. God will give us responsibilities to carry out throughout all eternity. And we will find fulfillment in doing that. And remember, all of the impediments that keep us from enjoying work in this life, tired bodies, strained relationships, government regulations, all those things will be removed in the next life so that we can enjoy work as God intended us to enjoy it. We will be working in heaven. Question number 10, and I get this all the time, are Christians in heaven right now aware of what's going on on earth? Are Christians in heaven aware of what's happening on earth? And I think the Bible answers that question with an affirming yes. At least to some extent, people in heaven know what's happening on earth. Where do I find this idea that people in heaven know what's going on on earth? Well, think about Abraham in Luke chapter 16. He was with the Lord, but he was aware of the rich man's suffering. Or in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, jot down that passage. The picture here is during the great tribulation. The tribulation saints, that is those Christians who have died because of their faith, their spirits are in heaven, are looking down at what is happening on earth during the great tribulation. And notice what they cry out. They said, oh Lord, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? In other words, during the tribulation, people in heaven are going to be able to look down. They will see the calamity on the earth and they're going to say, Lord, how long are you going to allow this to happen before you bring judgment? 
So the Bible is clear, at least to some extent, that people in heaven are aware of what is happening on earth. And of course, that brings up a related question. What does that mean then that Christians in heaven are going to experience grief in heaven when we see our loved ones being consigned to hell? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, how is it going to be possible if I have a friend or a loved one who is suffering and being tormented in hell forever? How could I ever possibly enjoy heaven? Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. John says, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And this takes place after the great white throne judgment, after unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire, After that time, John says, God wipes away every tear from our eyes. How could that be possible if we know loved ones are suffering in hell? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we find an interesting description of what happens when the Lord returns. You know, when the Lord was here the first time on earth, the Bible says he wept over the lost. He cried over Jerusalem. He was grieved over the prospect of people going to hell. But 2 Thessalonians 1 says, when the Lord comes the second time, he will come dealing out retribution against unbelievers. And there'll be no tears. There'll be no grieving on his part as he renders judgment to unbelievers. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.10, it says, and after he does that, Christ will be marveled at among those who have believed. That is, when we witness Christ punishing evildoers, we won't be second-guessing him. We won't be arguing with him that he's being unjust. Instead, we will marvel at what he has done. I think what the scripture is saying is this. When we see life from God's perspective, when we are with him and understand the true righteousness of God, and the true awfulness of sin. And we realize that every person who is consigned to hell deserves to be there because they have rejected Christ. That will cause every tear, every bit of remorse to be wiped away. I don't understand that completely, but I like what J.I. Packer wrote one time when he said, other people's hell will not veto our heaven. The Bible says on that day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain for the old things will have passed away. Just think, no more broken relationships, no more all night vigils at the hospital, no more standing over the grave of a loved one. All of that will be gone forever. I don't know about you, but that's enough to make me want to push away the spinach and carrots and go for the bluebell right now. Aren't you ready for heaven right now when you think about that? But the fact is, God still has some very real responsibilities he wants us to carry out here on earth before we go to heaven. But the fact that this life is so unpleasant right now only is going to make heaven taste that much better. But listen to this. The reverse is also true. Knowing what awaits us makes this life more bearable. Paul said it this way. He said, for what we go through in this life, it is a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. 
You know, one of the greatest criticisms against the teaching of Bible prophecy, very few churches today even talk about the subject of prophecy anymore, but one of the frequent criticisms is, well, Bible prophecy has nothing to do with everyday life. Haven't you heard people say, oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, look, the Bible never divorces the truth of the next life from our responsibility in this life. Listen to Peter's words in 2 Peter 3, 11 to 12. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? I mean, think about this, folks. Shouldn't the truth of the rapture, the fact that we're going to be caught up one day to meet the Lord in the air and we're going to leave everything behind, shouldn't that affect our attitude toward our material possessions right now? No, we're going to have to let go of it one day. Shouldn't it loosen our grip on those material possessions right now? Shouldn't the fact that you and I are going to stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for every word, every action, every attitude, shouldn't that have some impact on how we live right now. C.S. Lewis talked about the value of being heavenly minded, of focusing on the future. I close with this. He said, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking but it's one of those things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Living in anticipation of that perfect ending that awaits every believer in Christ is the strongest motivation I know of for living a God-centered life beginning today. Well, this concludes our in-depth teaching series on future events and the end times. And let me urge you to take a few moments right now to request the materials we've prepared on your behalf to help you understand God's plan for your future. At Pathway to Victory, people are standing by to receive your requests. But I need to remind you, today is the last day to ask for my best-selling book, Perfect Ending. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll send you a copy. And when you respond today, I'll be sure to include a companion resource called The End Times Illustrated, a panorama of Bible prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. To be clear, this is a full-color, 72-page book that contains 18 original and illustrated infographics and charts, and it coincides with my book Perfect Ending as a natural complement. Let me say a word about the value of your financial partnership. When you give to Pathway to Victory, you're accomplishing far more than purchasing a resource. Your gift empowers Pathway to Victory to proclaim the truth of Scripture with boldness and to touch lives for God's glory. Recently, I heard from Susan, who listens in Florida, and she said, 
Pastor Jeffers' perfect ending has been so insightful and Bible-rich. It has deepened my faith, inspired me to recommit my life, to pray more, and to be a better witness as I await the return of our Lord. Susan, your words are a great encouragement to me, and you inspire all of us to invest generously in the pathway to victory. So let me urge you to respond today. God will use your generous gift to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. Now, as we go into the weekend, don't forget you can watch Pathway to Victory on television this weekend. You can see us Saturdays at noon Eastern on TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, or we're on hundreds of stations Sundays, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request a copy of the book, Perfect Ending, along with the End Times Illustrated. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete Perfect Ending teaching series on CD and DVD. Today is your very last opportunity, though, to request the exclusive resources, so be sure to call, write, or go online right now. Our toll-free number is 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You could also write to this mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend. Then join us again next week for the start of a new study on the Sermon on the Mount. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.